this is Liren Baker, and welcome to the Kitchen Confidant podcast. Today, we're chatting with Raquel Royers of the wine blog, Watch Me Sip. Based in the beautiful Napa Valley, Raquel not only lives in wine country, but works in the industry, splitting her time as a marketing consultant at Creative Sip Marketing and on her blog. As a certified specialist of wine and spirits, Raquel is an amazing resource for wine lovers and travelers to various wine regions, and she's always sharing tidbits on Instagram that will make you want to pour a glass of wine right alongside her. I'm so excited to welcome Raquel to the podcast. Hey, Raquel. Thank you. Hi. I'm so happy to be here. And I have a glass of wine here because why not? (laughs) I thought about it. (laughs) I have my glass of tea and I'm sorry it's not as exciting. I know it is. It is noon. But it's a Friday, so it's okay, right? (laughs) It's totally okay. I'm already thinking ahead. Like, what are we going to open later? I'm so excited. The last time I saw you in person was actually at a winery. And that was probably my last little press deal thing before pandemic happened. Before everything happened, right? I know. And that was a beautiful dinner. I think we were at Robert Mondavi and Mm -hmm. and ate a bunch of good stuff and, and drank lots of great wines. So I'm excited that events are back in session. Uh, so we'll have to run into each other again. <laughs> I soon. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm glad I at least went to that because I almost didn't go. And looking back, I was like, I'm so glad I went and didn't get lazy. <laughs> Little did you know. <laughs> Little did I know that would be like the last time I'd be toasting people in public. Yes. Like, so weird. So I always start by asking, what's the first thing that you ever cooked and about how old were you? I honestly am not sure if I can remember like what the very first thing is that I cooked, probably eggs, (laughs) right? As a kid, (laughs) I think um, breakfast was kind of the meal that I was in charge of when I was first started cooking. Can't really mess eggs up. Um, But my mom is a phenomenal cook. So thankfully, as I was growing up, I was always in the kitchen with her holidays, she would make me stay in the kitchen. Sometimes I hated it. But Today, I am thankful that she (laughs) kept me in the kitchen all those holidays and taught me how to make so many beautiful meals. And now it really helps because being in the wine space, food is such a big, you know, pairing and I can actually know my way around the kitchen, which really helps. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm wondering, did your parents introduce you to wine at an early age? Is that how the love started Mm -hmm. for you? Actually, they were not big drinkers. My Mm -hmm. mom is a total wine snob now. I've (laughs) influenced them to really love wine. But growing up, you know, they would occasionally have a beer, margarita, if we went out to tacos, um, sometimes wine, but it really wasn't a big part of their lifestyle. It was really me later on in life, finding wine as a passion and just pursuing it. And that's really how my whole journey started. But like I said, now they're, they're huge into wine and they come to Napa all the time. (laughs) I love it. I I love seeing when they join you on your tastings. If we could just go back a little bit, could you tell everyone a little bit more about yourself and what brought you to the wine industry? Yeah, I'll try to make it quick, but uh, really right out of college, I became a crime reporter, which is a bit different. Yeah, I went to school for journalism. Um, My dream was to always be a news anchor. And so right out of college, I started working at a newspaper um, and I was a crime reporter. So I have a lot of stories that I can share at another time. And, you know, it just wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. I think I had this like 
idealistic idea of what news, the news industry was like. And um, so I shifted a bit and thought, what do I have that can provide value, right? I, I'm a storyteller. I love to write. I love to share stories, take photos, connect with people. So I shifted into marketing, which they, the journalism back then they said was the dark side. Uh, but I went into <laughs> marketing and started working at a small boutique um, marketing and advertising agency. There is where I really found my passion of like, this is what I'm meant to do. Uh, but personally, I started getting interested in wine. And, you know, one night I, I had a bottle of wine and I was a couple glasses too deep. <laughs> and I started looking at the label and was really looking at the back label and thought, somebody wrote this. Somebody is telling this story. That could be me. And I had never been to Napa before in my life. But that night I started applying for jobs. Uh, and that's kind of how, how it happened. Then I moved a couple of weeks later, moved to Napa, started working in the wine industry at one of the largest wine companies in the U S um, did digital marketing and social media for them. And that's kind of where everything started snowballing, which is, I think where I first met you years yes. ago, <laughs> you come to Napa, you're pretty new, but you land an amazing job. Did you at this point think, okay, I've drunk the Kool-Aid. I've had the wine. <laughs> I, I, you have your, did you want to just pursue it all the way and get your certification? Is that where that started or how did that come about for you? Yeah. So at that point I was just completely enthralled with the wine world, the wine industry, these events that my work was taking me to and just the discovery of Napa Valley, right? Just it, I was completely enthralled by it. And so that's where the passion just started leading me deeper into the wine world. And I started wanting to get these certifications. So I got my CSW, Certified Specialist of Wine. Then I got my CSS, which is Certified Specialist of Spirits. And along that journey, I started also wine tasting every weekend because I thought, why would I not? I am in the world famous Napa Valley. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take advantage of this. And so I just started wine tasting every weekend, exploring, meeting new vintners, and then documenting it all on my personal Instagram at that point. I had no intentions of starting a blog. I was just sharing things because I thought it was so cool. And I was so excited to share what I was doing. And that's really where watch me sip was in its infancy without me even knowing it was happening. People started messaging me and asking me, I'm coming to Napa. Where should I go wine tasting? <laughs> or, Hey, do you have a link or, you know, a blog or resources of how I, how I schedule a trip to Napa or where I should go? And so then I said, well, I guess I better start a blog. <laughs> and I had a list of about 50 different names that I brainstormed one night after drinking some wine and watched me sip, just kind of stuck. And ever since then, it's it's been a thing. <laughs> wow. I think it's so fun to see the evolution and the journey and, and then just how you kept getting deeper and deeper into the wine world. So I'm really curious what the certification process is like. Like you're a level three now of the, mm -hmm. is it? W-S-E-T, is that right? Yes. So 
since then, since, since my, you know, initial start in the wine industry, I have pursued more certifications. So I have my um, WSET three, I've thought about diploma, which is level four, but that's about a two year commitment. So just holding off on that a bit. Um, but I've also worked in the industry for about seven years at a number of different wineries and importers. So I think the best experience and knowledge that you can get is on the ground floor, right? And and being there and seeing everything happen in front of you. So um, it's been great getting that experience as well. So how rigorous is the certification? Is it like the master sommelier exam? Like, is it oh, as no. crazy as that? <laughs> Are you Thank God, no. And <laughs> no. So there's a bit of a difference. So I didn't go the SOM route because I am not in service or hospitality. I'm more on the marketing side of things, which is why I pursued my CSW and WSET, which is more um, geography-based, history-based, learning about wine regions of the world and general knowledge of different wines, how they're made, viticulture, etc. So kind of a little bit of everything, being able to speak to all of it. I would say uh, the WSET 3 was just requires a lot of study time, um, a lot of tasting. There's a blind tasting portion. There's a multiple choice portion and then a theory portion. The theory portion is the hardest because it is essays that you have to write and really apply your knowledge on wine regions across the world. Um, so it's just a lot of study time and a lot of drinking, well, tasting, right, right. <laughs> which is the fun part. <laughs> which is the fun part. But isn't that hard too, if you have to just, you know, taste so many wines, like you have to have mm -hmm. access to a lot of, well, luckily for you, you mm -hmm. live in one of the, you know, the one of most wonderful places for, to taste, but I mean, there's a whole world that you have to taste. So is that hard getting to taste various wines that maybe might be harder to procure? Yes. Thankfully, I did it through the Napa Valley Wine Academy. And with their program, they send little like blind testing kits, oh. which is super, super helpful. But I also if anybody is looking into doing this, I suggest finding a tasting group or putting together a tasting group. And then you can taste several different bottles at once, you know, with people bringing different bottles rather than you having to fork out, you know, the cash to buy these wines weekly, which can get very expensive. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Okay. So is there a wine that you're particularly excited about right now? Ooh, well, I love champagne. I just came back from champagne. So I, I feel like choice. it's <laughs> something you can always drink, right? One of my favorite grapes is actually Cab Franc, uh, which I feel like not enough people drink enough Cab Franc. Mm -hmm. um, typically it's used as a blending grape in Cabernet, but as of late, Cabernet Franc has been having its time to shine as a single bridal. Um, so yeah, I'd say, you know, with the chili temps coming up, I'm going to be popping a lot of Cab Franc and I've been on such a Pinot kick lately. Yeah. I just, Pinot's good. <laughs> it just is like that wine that you can always pop either with food or just to enjoy a glass. And I love it. I agree. I agree. Pinot is always a good standby. But I have to say, you sent a bottle of Cab Franc um, a year or so yes. ago, and I loved it so much. And now I'm like looking more for it. Like it's, it is harder yes. to find, but yeah, it's so good. Okay. 
So you live in Napa Valley. I know a lot of people are jealous. So <laughs> what is the worst part about living in Napa Valley and maybe the best part about it? The worst part, you always want to drink wine. <laughs> and that's the best part, the worst and the best. Um, I would say the worst part is, yeah, that you live in a tourist destination, right? So you live in, in a town that people travel the world to come visit. So sometimes as a local, <laughs> that, that can be tough having all the tourism, which we want, you know, of course, it's what keeps the wheels mm -hmm. turning around here. And we're happy to have people come visit the Napa Valley. And then the best thing is just the access that we have to incredible wine, incredible food, people that are so knowledgeable in the wine space, the people that I've been able to meet within the Napa Valley and within this industry that I would have never had the chance had I not lived in Napa. Mm -hmm. I think that's the most special part is, is the wine community. Yeah. Every time I come up there, I'm always like, oh, I should really should come up more. It's not far from where I live, but you're so close. I'm so close, but it's just far enough that I'm like, Oh, I have to really think about it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, there's so much good stuff out there. So for people who are trying to decide if they're going to plan a trip out here, okay, there's Napa Valley, there's Sonoma Valley. Like, where should I go? And you know, how should I divide my time? What are your thoughts on mm -hmm. that? Well, go to both would be my answer mm -hmm. because Napa and Sonoma are similar in a lot of ways, but also very different. Napa is going to have more of the larger producers, you know, the typical uh, Cabernet houses that you see in all your grocery stores, but also a lot of small boutique producers. So my number one tip for people coming to Napa would be search for those wineries that are off the beaten path. Search for those wineries that are small, family-owned, you know, are small production. That's where you're really going to get the, like, quintessential Napa experience and have those lifelong memories. Sure, you go to a large producer and you will have a phenomenal time because the hospitality world anymore here is top-notch. Mm -hmm. But also include in your list some of those small producers, because they really need your support. And that's, that's where they, they thrive, you know, is welcoming in visitors. Um, secondly, book, book a trip to Sonoma as well. Um, if you have to split it up, don't do Sonoma and Napa in one day. <laughs> because they are, you know, pretty far from one another, depending on where in the Sonoma Valley you're going. So I'd say do one day in Napa, one day in the Sonoma Valley. Sonoma is huge. So when you're booking your trip, decide if you want to center your time just in Sonoma proper. Maybe you want to go to the Russian River Valley, or maybe you'd rather go to Dry Creek up in Healdsburg. So kind of figure that out first um, and then and then go from there. But absolutely, I would say if you're coming to California, especially from another state, plan a time where you can go to both the Napa side and the Sonoma side, because Sonoma is a little bit more rustic, yeah. um, a little bit more down home. The owner may be even pouring you the wine. So it is a bit of a different experience. A little more intimate. I always joke that for people who are visiting, if you see a big tour bus, just keep driving. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> yes. Um, I shouldn't be so snotty about that. But I just feel like you do get a more intimate experience when you're at a smaller producer. And it's just so much more rewarding. Okay. Mm -hmm. What other wine regions should people be visiting? Because it's mm -hmm. not just Napa and Sonoma. There's a whole state out there. There's a whole world out there. But what are your, some of your other favorites? Yes. 
So if we're talking just California, I recently got back from Santa Barbara wine country. So Santa Ynez and had the best time. If you are a Pinot Noir lover, if you are a Chardonnay lover, if you like Rhone varietals, mm -hmm. you have to go to the Santa Barbara wine country. Um, additionally, I would say Paso Robles. If you have not been to Paso, the wines are incredible. Um, again, it's a little bit Sonoma-esque to me. So you're going to have more of that down-home feel, casual vibe, but incredible wines. Mm -hmm. um, again, a lot of Rhone varietals happening out there as well as some Bordeaux varietals. Um, and then additionally, what's been on my list is I want to make my way up to Oregon and Washington. That's on my wish list. I haven't been up there yet. But, I haven't but either. I was, yes. Yeah, that's that they're growing for sure with their tourism and they're making incredible wines up there. Okay, you got back from France mm -hmm. very yeah. recently. So tell us about it because I we, was just living vicariously through you. Yes, it was so fun. I actually went on a press trip to the Languedoc wine region, which is in the south of France, spent a couple days there, went back up to Paris, spent a few days there, ate and drank my way through the entire town, <laughs> uh, and then took a train to Champagne, um, visited some producers out there, some Champagne houses, which was just incredible, and then came home. And I'm already itching to get back over there. It was it was amazing. Just the history, the culture, um, putting what I've learned from the wine books into actual real life context, being able to, I'm such a wine nerd, being able <laughs> to hold soil from different terroirs and, and climates that I've learned about mm -hmm. was just incredible. Was there a key difference in your experience there compared to what you see every day in Napa? Yeah, I would say in the south of France, in the long talk, it's not like the Napa, you know, sometimes it's called the Disneyland of, of wine <laughs> tasting or Disneyland for adults. And it's not like that down there. It's much more um, focused just on the winemaking, uh, you know, focusing on the land, the, the viticulture process, um, and less about a wine tasting culture. Um, whereas then going up to Champagne, some of these larger producers do have very, like very much are similar to Napa in that they have the hospitality, they have the whole experience. And I think that just comes with the luxury type mm. product too, that they're creating. But I think the one thing that is in common is the love and passion that the vintners have in the product that they're creating. And that was very similar to what happens here in Napa and Sonoma. So interesting. How is the wine tasting in general, like compared to here? Like I know that when you go up to Napa, there's, there's hardly any room. Sometimes if you go, you have, well, clearly here we have to make reservations now, but mm -hmm. when you go wine tasting in France, do you feel like it's, you know, a popular activity among the French? No, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's probably more of a tourist thing. Um, I would say the French more probably just buy their favorite bottles from their favorite vintner. Or what I also learned is there's these large wine fairs, at least in the south of France that they do, where it's like a collection of a bunch of different vintners that will come together and sell really the bulk of what they sell for the year within these certain events that they're all meeting up together. Cause a lot of them may not even have 
cellar doors to open, you know, up to the public. Oh, that's so interesting. Okay. In total contrast, let's talk about budget wines really quickly. Because I think it's so fun when you go to Trader Joe's and you're sharing stories on Instagram, like, okay, stay away from this. This is good. (laughs) So how do you recommend for people to navigate the wine aisle at their Trader Joe's? Yeah. So if you're looking for a budget wine, uh, well, I love Napa. That's not where you're going to find it. Right. Mm -hmm. So I would look for more of those other regions like a Santa Barbara or a Paso Roble, Central Coast, Um, even better, something that's an import. Look for something from maybe uh, Chile or you're looking for something from Spain. Um, The imports tend to have super high value uh, based on their dollar amount. So you can find a really great $15, um, you know, Tempranillo from Spain that you wouldn't be able to find that quality, say coming out of here of Napa. So that's my number one tip is look for something that's not California. (laughs) Oftentimes just because really how it works is land is too expensive here. Um, and that's, what's going to drive the quality and the price in that bottle. Mm. Really good tip. Okay. What are your tips for wine tasting in general for people who are are coming out? Yes. So I just created a reel, which is funny that had all these mistakes that you're probably making and you had no idea that you're <laughs> making them like wearing too much perfume when you're mm-hmm. going tasting. I think so many people don't realize this, but it gets in the way of how you're smelling and tasting the wines and then also annoys the people around you that are tasting next to you. So don't wear a bunch of cologne or perfume. Tip your your hostess, your wine pourer, et cetera, especially now, you know, the mm-hmm. they're extremely understaffed uh, after COVID and people are working really hard. Um, what else? I would say spit your wine uh don't feel the need to <laughs> drink everything that's in the glass especially if you're making several stops uh while wine tasting it's okay to dump mm-hmm. or to spit so that you can make it to all your wine tastings without getting too intoxicated <laughs> agree 1000 <laughs> percent although it's tempting. you have to learn that the hard way yeah yeah <laughs> okay and then the holidays are coming up so what are your favorite gifts for wine lovers. Mm. I'm doing this selfishly because I need ideas. <laughs> Number one, Corvin. Yes. Literally, I, I live and die by my Corvin. I use that thing so much. They also just came out with one that works on sparkling wine, which I cannot wait <gasps> Have to you try. Tried it? Oh, I can't wait no. to hear. Yes. I'm excited to try it. Um, so I would say the Corvin, a really nice, um, really nice glasses like this. I love, I love these. I use these all the time. Um, sorry, if you're listening, you can't see this, but what I'm describing <laughs> is, uh, the performance, uh, champagne flute, which is more in a tulip shape, which is what I prefer to drink champagne out of. So the bubbles can breathe and you can really, you know, smell all those beautiful aromatics. Um, and then additionally, if I were to say one more thing, if you're going big, you want to really surprise somebody with an awesome Christmas gift, get them a wine fridge. Even if it's just like a, you know, 16 bottle, 24 bottle wine fridge. If you're looking to keep any of your wines, age any of your wines and keep them properly stored, a wine fridge is crucial. I am surprised at how beautiful the wine fridges now are. Cause have you, I just remember when wine fridges were really 
ugly. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they were cool looking because you could see the bottles, but now they look like beautiful furniture and mm -hmm. that's super exciting. I totally agree with the Coravin. That's one of my favorite things. Have you tried, what's the other one? It's um... the Pivot? Yes. So the the normal Coravin is one that a needle actually enters and penetrates the cork right. um, and then pumps argon gas in while you're funneling the wine out so that it'll last for up to a year. You could place it back into your wine rack. A pivot, you actually have to um, pop the bottle, you know, uncork it, and then you insert the pivot. Also has argon gas that pumps into there as you're pouring, but it's a faster pour uh, because there's no cork. And it also only lasts for up to four weeks, your wine. So use the pivot on a wine that's more of like your weeknight wine, whereas maybe the Corbin you're using on a more expensive bottle or something that you're just tapping into for a glass. Mm -hmm. Or just testing to see how it's aging. If it's ready to pull off the shelf. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so good. I should, we don't have that other one. We have the original. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm curious. Okay. This is a totally random question, but I just have to ask, how do you capture your photos so well for your content? Because <laughs> you're in them, you know, it's not like it's, you're just taking a picture of the wine, like you're in them. So how do you do mm -hmm. it? Are you using like a timer? Are you, you know, using a trigger? Like how do you do yes. it? Yes. It's very unglamorous if you were to see the behind the scenes, um, it's me, myself, and I most of the time. Sometimes I make my friends <laughs> take my photos for me. I bribe them with wine, which thankfully works for a lot of people. It would um, work for me. I would be like, I'll volunteer. <laughs> but yes, for the majority, it's me setting a self-timer, using my tripod, running around to the front of the camera, and hoping for the best. Taking hundreds of shots is usually the key, knowing I'll get one <laughs> that works. That's so. amazing. I'm just so impressed because like I'm looking at your Instagram right now. I'm like, how does she do it? That's so amazing. Thank you. Because <laughs> whenever I try, it's a mess. Okay. We have some closing questions before I let you go. Uh, what's something that you make when you're too tired to cook and you just need an emergency go-to meal? Mm, I would say I'm like the master of a bowl meal. So just throwing everything in a bowl, it's like half salad, half <laughs> bowl. So I love doing um, like a soy sauce salmon and then putting it on rice with some edamame, some carrots, and then like a little teriyaki glaze. Super oh, quick, healthy, and delicious. <laughs> I love it. What's the one recipe that you treasure the most? I have a lot of recipes that I love and that my mom has taught me. And I'll just go with one that I made most recently this week, actually, which was French onion soup. I think I'm still, I think the Something onions the are onions. still on me. <laughs> I can still smell them. A lot of, a lot of slicing of onions, but yeah. And that's a recipe that I learned from her. I watched her making it as a child and it was the first time actually that I, I, I attempted it <laughs> this week and it was delicious. I saw you making that. I'm like, that is a lot of onions, but oh, so my, good. My onion goggles. You have onion goggles. <laughs> For people who didn't see, she had like saran wrap growing around her face. It was hilarious. Such a dork. <laughs> Are you a messy cook or a neat cook? Mm, I like to clean up as I go. Yeah, that's good. I wish I was more like that. I try. I really do. <laughs> What's a good kitchen tip? Mm, always add wine. <laughs> Yay. Of course. Good tip. 
And then on Fridays or whenever, I try to share five little things, something that made me smile that week. Is there anything that made you smile this week? Um, you're catching me off guard here. What made me smile? <laughs> I would say, um, well, today is one of my best friend's birthdays. So Aww. I'll give her a shout out. Happy birthday, Jenna. <laughs> Yay. Birthdays are always good. Hopefully you get to celebrate with them later. Yeah, she's right. in Boston. So oh, no. we'll see, which is also a foodie and wine lover's mecca. You have yes. to go. I love Boston. I grew up on the East Coast <laughs> and my dad had oh, offices okay. in Boston. So we would go all the time. So good. Awesome. Well, Raquel, thank you so much. Where can everyone find you? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at watchmesip. And then my blog is watchmesip.com. So come on over, say hi. Awesome. Thanks, Raquel. Thank you so much. <laughs> Cheers. I'm so glad you were able to join us on this episode of Kitchen Confidant. Thank you again to Raquel for joining us today. She always reminds me that I'm so lucky to live so close to wine country and how I need to visit more often. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate it and share it with a friend and join us again next time. Until then, happy cooking. Happy cooking.